Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. The message I was uh, working on and uh, am now delivering in real time was on and is on uh, during the days of awe. It's during the days of awe, and I thought seeing all these hot air balloons ascending into the blue skies of New Mexico would be an awesome sight. So uh, we went out into the foothills, <clears throat> found a high sp- spot where we could see uh, the whole metro area. And it, it was really magnificent, really beautiful. And, you know, I think there's something within us that yearns for what's what we would call awesome, although that word is way overused these days, right? Something in us yearns for, for that which is genuinely awesome, out of the ordinary, um, bigger, expansive, beyond our norms, and that's a healthy yearning. And we were enjoying the vista, and uh, you know, here in New Mexico, there's always the awesome view of the blue skies, uh, the the vast horizons, the mountains and mesas. So it was a wonderful thing. But you know what? As we were as we were looking at the balloons, I found myself counting the balloons. How many balloons are there up there? And uh, I counted to about 60. You know, today, the mass ascension went up, and uh, there's usually like hundreds and hundreds. I think they maxed out at 800 hot air balloons. So that is uh, really spectacular and awesome. But, you know, counting the balloons, um, the yearning for the transcendent is something that, that is God-given, and it's life-giving. But we're tempted to manage it. You know, this is really awesome. Gee, how many exact, what's the exact number of balloons that are out there? We're tempted to manage that which is uh, beyond and which should fill us with awe. So, um, as I said, we're in the midst of the days of awe, and we live in an age where we're still yearning for what can fill us with awe, for what is transcendent and beyond. But uh, we, we create a lot of man-made spectacles, and we're not so easily awed at all. And it's a good reminder. I'd like us to look at the words of uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, great rabbi of the 20th century, which I often cite during the days of awe. Let me see if I can share my screen. So Rabbi Heschel says, our goal should be to live life in radical amazement. Have you heard this uh, quotation before? I think it's a a great description in other words of the awe to which we're striving and for which we're yearning in the days of awe. Our goal should be to live life in radical amazement, to get up in the morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. 
living a life of radical amazement. Now, if that's a challenge that, uh, you know, sounds a little bit uh, above and beyond us, I'll remind you that today is Shabbat Shuvah, the, the Sabbath of uh, Shuvah, repentance, of return, and it's reflecting the word of the Lord through Hosea, who said, Shuvah Yisrael, return, O Israel, to Adonai your God. For you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words with you and return to Adonai. So I would suggest that we need to, to return, to repent of treating life casually, of taking things for granted, and we need to turn in the direction of radical amazement. Uh, you know, and that amazement is not just a positive attitude toward life in general, but it's rooted in the awe of God, which is what uh, the days of awe are all about. <clears throat> now, when I speak of repentance, you know, turning away from our uh, casual, take it for granted attitude toward life and living with radical amazement, when I talk about repentance, um, tshuva, based on the word for return, uh, that might that term repentance might you know stir up a, an image of a list of of wrongs of failures shortcomings that we need to check off confess and correct and uh, we actually will do some of that on Yom Kippur we'll do a lot of that but but there's more to repentance the Hebrew term shuva or shuva returning turning captures the sense better, I believe. So another great rabbi of the 20th century, Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, said the whole essence of the precept of repentance is longing, yearning, pining to return again. Longing develops only when one has lost something precious. And if we've lost the, the precious radical amazement, the precious sense of awe in the presence of God, we can turn back and uh, seek from God to be restored to that. So our tradition, and when we talk about repentance, our tradition supplies a, a checklist of repentance, as I mentioned, which will be following, going through on Yom Kippur, uh, as part of our people Israel confessing the sins of, of the whole people together. Um, but even more than that, it also provides the story of the pathfinder, uh, the standard bearer on the way of return to God, which is the story of Abraham, which we read on Rosh Hashanah. And uh, I would like to return to the one scene, which I think is the, the turning point scene in that whole story. Um, you're all familiar with it, and, and we heard it just a few days ago. God calls Abraham <clears throat> to offer up his son Isaac as a burnt offering. It's a shocking directive, a heartbreaking directive, after Abraham has waited his whole life for an heir and finally receives, by God's uh, promise and God's grace and goodness, receives an heir in um, Isaac. God commands him to offer up Isaac. And uh, goes, he goes immediately, saddles up his donkey and takes off with Isaac and a couple of uh, young men in his uh, extended household to go offer up Isaac on a mountain that the Lord points to, out to him. And when they reach the place, 
it's just Abraham and Isaac alone. Um, and he binds Isaac, places him on the altar, and raises his hand to offer him up, to, to slay him. But the angel of Adonai called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Hineni. And then he said, do not reach out your hand against the young man. Do nothing to him at all. For now I know that you are one who fears God. Or you could translate that, now I know that you are in awe of God. <clears throat> For you did not withhold your son, your only son, from me. If this were not such a solemn moment in the story of Abraham, uh, I would imagine some humor there. You know, the angel says, now I know that you fear God. And Abraham looks up and says, now you know? It wasn't enough that I left my homeland and my father's house and headed for a place that, that wasn't even on the map. Uh, it wasn't enough that I believed your promise of abundant offspring, even though I'd grown old and my wife had grown old with no heir in sight. It wasn't enough that when I finally had a son, Ishmael, you uh, told me to that he could not be the heir and, and finally told me to send him off into exile, which I did. And, and now you finally know that I fear God. So what's going on there in this uh, passage? Uh, what is it that is, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that Abraham is finally um, manifesting in his life that uh, brings, as I said, this story to its climax and turning point? A Abraham's awe is not in place Abraham doesn't live in awe of God uh, only until it's too demanding or too mysterious. Abraham's awe does not just uh, last until things get too strange, too, too beyond, um, and then fade away. It's in place despite, or it might be better to say his awe is in place amid what is too demanding and too mysterious. It's an awe of God which is not swayed by circumstances. Abraham remains in awe of God. He remains in uh, radical amazement, if, if I can use Heschel's term, uh, of who, and who God is and how God acts in the world, even when he cannot understand, even when it's, uh, you know, finally, in the case of Abraham, <clears throat> God... Uh, disappoints him and breaks his heart on the matter that's most vital to him and that God promised to him. And you could, you could imagine uh, Abraham saying, enough. And it's at that point that Abraham is faithful and the angel says, now I know that you fear God. And Abraham becomes the standard for us. Uh, very few of us are likely to be called upon to the kind of sacrifice that Abraham was, but this is the standard. You know, when we have our lesser trials, our, our lesser temptations to turn away from the, the awe of God, we can remember Abraham, and we, we can remember God's faithfulness to Abraham. So I think that is why the text says, that now I know, because you have been uh, faithful, you've been obedient, you've followed me, uh, even in the most impossible and in unexplainable of circumstances.
and we can see Abraham as our, our model in that. But, but notice also, you know, I talked about uh, Abraham being faithful, being obedient, but that's not what the angel says. He doesn't say, now I know that you love God, or now I know that you trust God or have faith in God. Even though Abraham is the paragon of faith, the father of the faithful, that's not what this text highlights. He says, now I know that you fear God. And so there's something unique and essential in Abraham's response here that, that defines it as awe and provides a model for the awe that we're seeking uh, in our lives. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't limit God. He doesn't impose his grid. And the awe, the awe of God that we seek doesn't limit God. It doesn't impose our, our dogma, our expectations on him. It's faithful even when we don't understand. So fear in this passage, yireh, uh, has the same root as the word awe in the days of awe, yamim noraim. And you can translate that yireh root either as fear or as awe, uh, depending on the, the context. And I, I believe we see in, in Abraham's obedience, a model of awe for us. After God's miraculous provision and then God's heartbreaking directive, he continues, Abraham continues to follow God and seek God and trust in him. And as I've mentioned, I believe this is the turning point in the entire book of Genesis, that um, the, the chapters of Genesis leading up to this point are, are setting the stage early on for um, the introduction of the, the chosen individual, the chosen person who will, who will be the father of the chosen people who will fulfill God's purposes for the earth that he has created. And so Genesis, Genesis builds up to the introduction of Abraham, and then Abraham goes through, uh, the sages tell us, 10 trials, proving himself to be the one who will carry forward God's purposes for all humankind. And this is the 10th trial. And after this trial, the focus shifts to Abraham's offspring. The angel says to Abraham, because you have done this thing and you did not withhold your son, your only son, I will richly bless you and bountifully multiply your seed like the stars of the heaven and like the sand that is on the seashore. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And this is one reason I consider this the turning point of Genesis, because Genesis opens with the creation of humankind, goes on to the formation of the nations of the earth, and identifies the chosen nation. But it's through this nation that all the nations of the earth, the great creation purpose, will be blessed. The great creation purpose will be fulfilled. So the days of awe call us to a renewal of awe. Will we live in awe of God until it's too challenging and paradoxical? Uh, or will we continue in the, the awe of God? Will we continue in, in awe of God amid the challenges and paradoxes that our secular materialistic uh, culture presents to us inevitably? And will we hold in God in awe even when he acts in ways that don't fit our hopes and expectations? 
Will we, we refrain from counting the balloons? You know, I'm using that as a metaphor of wanting to manage what is awesome uh, and, and bring it into the, the limits of our own understanding. Abraham is serving God, knowing that God is always there. God is always present. God always has a purpose that is redemptive, even when we cannot see it. And that's really at the heart of the, the awe of God, the fear of God that scripture talks about. Let's look quickly at uh, what our Messiah teaches us about the fear of God before we wrap up. Yeshua teaching us as his followers in Matthew 10 says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. And remember that word fear can also be translated awe. Don't be awed by those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but instead be in awe of the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them shall fall to the ground apart from your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered, which in some cases doesn't seem like such a big uh, accomplishment, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are worth more than many sparrows. So the, the awe, <clears throat> the fear of God frees us from fear of all else. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. The, the, uh, the fear of God frees us from the fear, ultimately, of anything else. So do not fear. You are more worthy than, any, than many sparrows. And this theme, uh, I, I could have picked... Uh, Many passages throughout the scripture that, that show us how the, the fear of the Lord leads, frees us from fear. And I think that's important because we live in a very fearful age. Uh, we live in an age of anxiety. And uh, one of the keys to responding, to overcoming that is the fear, the awe of God. So the psalmist says, the fear of Adonai is the beginning of wisdom. Happy is the man who fears Adonai. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in Adonai. His heart is secure. He will not fear. You see that same, um, it, it almost sounds like a contradiction, but it's, it's a vital key. The fear of the Lord frees us from fear. The fear of Adonai is the beginning of of wisdom, happy is the man who fears Adonai. He's not afraid of anything else. So may we live that. And secondly, oops, excuse me, I'm intending to turn. There we go. Um, the fear of Adonai, the fear of God, frees us from fear of all else, which is a, a vital truth in the day of anxiety in which we live. We live in, in a an unstable and threatening world. And it's easy to be wrapped up in fear of what is going on, what might be going on in the world around us. The fear of the Lord, awe, being in awe of God, frees us from that. But a second point that uh, our Messiah makes, and that is, is really woven throughout scripture, is that the, the awe of God is not in contrast 
with love of God, but intertwined with it. It's uh, often when we think of the fear of God, you know, we kind of contrast it or uh, set it up against love of God, fear, love. But in scripture, they are intertwined. They're not contradictory concepts, but they're two sides of the same uh, picture, the same coin of faith and relationship to God. So Yeshua says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear you're worth more than many sparrows. Um, this is the God that Yeshua says, tells us to fear. It's the God who numbers the very hairs of our head, who, who loves us and cares for us and watches over us. The God that we are to fear is the God who loves us. The two are not in, in contrast, but the two come together. So during this season, one of our, <clears throat> excuse me, one of our uh, iconic prayers is Avinu Malkenu. Avinu Malkenu, and it's set to a beautiful and uh, poignant melody. But have you ever thought about those two words being together there? Our Avinu Malkenu, our father, our king. We call on Hashem as our father, the one who tenderly loves us with the same breath that we call upon him as our king, the one before whom we stand in awe. So it is not uh, either or, you know, do you love God or do you fear God? Is God your father or is God your king? He is, he is both. He's both and. And Messiah Yeshua himself embodies this quality of, of supremacy, of sovereignty and compassion. So today on Shabbat Shuvah, we can turn to God with longing, yearning, pining to return again, as Rabbi Soloveitchek put it. We can turn to God who invites us through the prophet Hosea to return and take words with us. And uh, as we return, perhaps a fitting set of words to conclude with, and I think a fitting prayer for this season, is a simple request from the prayers of the Sidurs, uh, part of the second blessing of Shema, unify our hearts to love and fear your name. So Lord God, as we continue through Shabbat Shuvah, as we continue toward Yom uh, Kippur in the days of awe, may our hearts be unified to love you and to fear you. May love and fear of you. May we be in awe of you, and may it be a loving awe that helps us to draw close, to follow you, to serve you with joy and confidence. We pray B'Shem Yeshua. Thank you.